I was again incorrect. So, not saying that I have any, you know, takes about it or anything. So, all right, this is going to be a little weird for me today because normally I'm used to like working on this side. So, if I feel discombobulated, it's my own problem. So, we'll deal with it. So, today we're starting a new series. Today we're starting a series called Prayers of the Saints. And uh, so, I'm a history guy. I love history. I think history can teach us so many things. I know people hate history, but I love history because when you look at history, it, it tells us how we got to where we're at, and it also helps us to look at how we got to where we're at, but also the why and how we can learn from it so that we don't make the same mistakes that led us to that place. Because oftentimes, there's lots of, of, of roads and bridges crossed on the way through history that we would if we had the choice, we'd go back and not cross or not make those same choices that we made. So today we're going to look at some of these uh, these people that we call church fathers, and we're going to see how, um, we're going to look specifically at some of their recorded prayers and how they continue to point to Christ. And so today we're going to look at the, the prayer of Polycarp. Polycarp, um, history and tradition teaches us that Polycarp was actually a disciple of the Apostle John. Now, the Apostle John, if you remember, he was the one that, that is recorded as the disciple that Jesus loved. He also wrote a couple books of the New Testament. Uh, he also was uh, specifically the, the book of Revelation. And it's also believed that he's the only apostle to die a natural death. And when I say natural death, we also need to remember that he was boiled alive in oil. So, <laughs> you always have that. So... Some of you guys will catch that in a second. If you've ever splashed boiling oil on your hand or any fryer-type oil on your hand, you'll understand that that does not tickle. Um, man, I feel like I'm just like all over the map today. I apologize for that. So anyways, so uh, the, Paul, the, the prayer of Polycarp that we're going to look at today as, as kind of our, our launching point was recorded as he was being prepared himself to be martyred, to be burned alive at the stake, um, in which that's actually, he was... Um, he actually had a vision of that uh, previous to him actually being burned alive. He actually, um, because normally they would murder them by having them eaten by wild animals um, in the in the Colosseum, but he had seen this thing, and because of the just different situations, it actually came, the vision that he had came to fruition. His prayer reads like this, Father, your Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the knowledge of you, I bless you that you have counted me worthy of this day and hour that I might be in the number of the martyrs. Among these may I be received before you today in a rich and acceptable sacrifice as you have beforehand prepared and revealed. Wherefore, I praise you also for everything. I bless you. I glorify you through the eternal high priest Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, through whom with him in the Holy Spirit be glory unto you both now and for the ages to come. Amen. So this is the prayer of Polycarp. And like I said, I'm going to use it kind of as a, as a jumping off point. I'm going to pull, pull little phrases out of it as I point back to um, what I'm going to use as our primary scripture today. Our primary scripture comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. They read like this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange is happening. But therefore, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory 
and of God rest upon you. But let no one, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and it begins with us. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. So today we're gonna I'm gonna go about this in more of a old school style. I'm gonna look at it uh, by kind of like by phrase and by verse or by idea instead of just going with a generalized thought. So uh, you can pull up the notes. They have they are on our website, um, elementlife.com. So you can go there to look at them. So our first part, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it reads like this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. See, the, as we are looking today at the prayer of Polycarp, Polycarp, um, according to the account of his death, was actually arrested, and he was given several specific moments in which he could renounce his faith, in which he can he could renounce God. And one account says that they he was sitting before the the um, the precept, and he said, the precept said to him, "Really, what harm is there in saying, Lord Caesar, and offering incense, and thus being saved?" And Polycarp's reaction was, I'm not going to do what you counsel me. And they actually kicked him out of where, when he said that, they were, the tone he used was so defined according to the history that they actually kicked him out of the room that he was in. And then another time they said to him, take the oath and I will set you free. This is the actual, the executioner said this to him. Take the oath and I will set you free. Revile Christ. And Polycarp's response, and I love this, it says, for six and eighty years, I have been serving him, and he has done me no wrong. How then dare I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Then that's, for him to say that, that's just, a, for me, I just, it blew me away. The first time I read it, it just spoke to me. It leapt off. It says, pretty much he's saying, for eighty-six years, I've followed Christ, and he's never done me wrong. I mean, the faith of this man it, it is a, something is a testimony, it's something to look forward to. But as we look back to what Peter says, suffering is not regarded as something foreign. It's something that, that as a Christian, we, we, can, we could and we should look at suffering as times of testing. You see, the word that they used for suffering here is also a word that ties directly into the idea of refining, and that's so much of refining specifically metals. And as you, if you know anything about refining, oftentimes you do that through heat. And other times you do it through pressure. And then other times you refine by taking and you, you work a stone or you work something over and over again until you remove all the impurities. In other words, refining is not an easy process because it's taking something that is rough, ragged, or, or not completely ready and through the process of removing all the other things that aren't supposed to be there. Like when you boil when you boil oil, when you boil metal, there's a thing called dross that comes to the top, and they literally come and they scoop it off. But the metal goes from a solid form and it's boiled to a liquid, and then all the impurities begin to come to the, to the top of it. There's moments in our lives we need to be 
have the or have the dross removed from it, and you're only going to get there through a process of refining. And just being a, in, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, but I do want you to hear this. You're not going to get there by just having your life on simmer. There's going to be times in which your life's going to be turned up to a full boil. There's going to be moments in which you are feeling as if you're boiling. And you need at times to embrace that because if that suffering is truly from the, from the Lord or if it's truly for the Lord, it's a moment for you to have your, your faith reinforced. It's a moment for you to really know how strong your faith is. Paul encouraged his readers in the book of Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, he's saying, work out your fear with reverence and respect for what it is. And this trembling, it talks about, it should, we should understand the greatness of the gift that we've been given in salvation. Now, I'm not saying that you can work yourself into, into being saved. That's not what I'm saying. And this actually points back to what we talked about in, in two of our series ago when we're talking about the stages of belief. As we continue to go, grow in Christ, that's really what Paul is challenging the believers to do in Philippians. So all this to say, you will be tested and you shouldn't be surprised by it. But it's because we are human, because we are human, we tend to sometimes forget the forest because we're focused on the tree. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 read like this, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. The part of Polycarp's prayer that I want to that I believe echoes this is I bless you that you have counted me worthy of this day and hour that I might be in the number of the martyrs. No one wants to rejoice in suffering. Well, specifically, well, when they're suffering for Christ, but this is the exact attitude that the early church had. They rejoiced in suffering for Christ. There's many examples throughout the New Testament where the apostles are doing that exact thing. They're rejoicing. There's a moment in the um, near the right, right around the middle or early, early middle, early middle of the book of Acts, in which the apostles were rounded up and they were taken before the Sanhedrin. And as they were presented before the Sanhedrin, they were told, "You can't preach Christ anymore. You can't preach it anymore." And yet, they ignored this. And so they were taken again, and they were whipped. And when I say whipped, I'm not just talking like a little like, or a little tap, or having a spoon broken on your bottom. Not saying that ever happened but to me before. Or, um, or some of us may have been whipped with a belt. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying some of us may experience that. But when you read whipped in Scripture, you need to understand that this wasn't light. We're talking this was whipped many times with something called a cat of nine tails. Uh, you may have heard this as you heard about Christ. They would whip you to the point where your back would literally have flesh removed. And they're at the end of this, they're like, yeah! I'm not sure it was like, yeah, I'm more sure it's like, Ugh. but some of you guys get that in a second, but it's all right. They rejoiced, not so much that they were happy that they suffered. They weren't happy, but they were happy at the honor. Because for them, being suffering for Christ showed that they were following what Christ had told them to do. For them, they found honor in something that, that's, 
crazy to us. And this idea of rejoicing, I think of the story of Paul and Silas, these two gentlemen that they were on a missions trip and they were locked up in jail. And so they decide to have a worship service. They start singing. I've been grounded a couple times in my lifetime. The words that were coming out of my mouth were not worship songs. And that was me being grounded in my room with all my Legos. I played with Legos when I was grounded. And I was still allowed to have all my books, still allowed to, you know, I got fed dinner. These dudes were in jail, and they decided to take a moment and sing praises to God. I mean, Jesus himself told us this. He said, if we associate ourselves with him, that we're going to experience these moments. Jesus says that the world hates me. And if the world hates me, the world's going to hate you. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't be worried about it. We shouldn't avoid in sharing in Jesus' suffering. You see, suffering pain is something that we do want to avoid. We don't like it. But pain has this, this really knack of teaching us things. You see, there are some, some benefits to pain. Like whenever we have some sort of pain in, in our body, we know that something isn't right. It points to the fact that something needs to change. Say your joint starts to hurt. You're like, hmm, that ain't right. You step funny. You're like, I have a twinge. There's something wrong. You know, your muscles sore. Something you did caused that to happen. So it brings attention to it. The other thing that pain t does is um, it's a teacher. We, as I talked about history, we learn from our mistakes. Sometimes the pain of a mistake is a great teaching lesson. Sometimes the pain of that mistake will help us to be like, all right, I shouldn't do that again. But as we talk about pain and suffering, I just want to get more of a, a serious mindset for a second. The suffering and the pain that is mentioned here that Polycarp was experiencing was tied directly to persecution. Polycarp went and was burned at the stake because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. Polycarp was going around preaching the gospel. And because of his preaching, he ended up dying. Now, today we don't often think about persecution, especially where we live in America. We've been blessed. We have, we've been afforded certain freedoms that allow us to practice our faith freely without the fear of persecution, without the fear of, of someone coming in and arresting us because of our beliefs, because of, of preaching the name of Jesus Christ. But around the world, persecution is real. I, I, I kind of went down a rabbit hole when I was doing my study, and I, I spent a, almost an hour just looking at the statistics of persecution worldwide currently, it's really sobering. And maybe I'm more mindful of it because of this study. Maybe I'm more mindful of it because I think about what happened Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka and the churches being bombed and all those people suffering. Maybe I'm more mindful of it now. But it shouldn't be something so far removed from ourselves. 
So as we as I think about this, and as I was going down the rabbit hole, and I was thinking about persecution, I just had this this echo in my head, this question: Can my faith handle real persecution? Could I really live in a situation removed from where I live currently in America? Would my faith be where it's at if I was in a place that I knew that tomorrow I could be arrested because of my beliefs in Jesus Christ? And I understand that's really hard for us to answer because we don't live there. We're not there. As I was thinking about this, I thought about Peter. Peter is one of the disciples that we talk about a lot, especially around Easter time, because Peter actually had a conversation with Jesus, and he's like, everyone else is going to run away, but I will stay with you even if it means dying. And then he gets arrested, he lops off a dude's ear and runs away. And then after that, after Jesus is arrested, he follows behind, and then he stands where the this trial is happening, and this girl, the servant girl, comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And he denies Christ three times. This is the dude that just spent three years daily with Jesus Christ. And when I say daily, I mean physical presence with Jesus Christ. And he's challenged by someone who has no authority over him. And in, in a matter of three questions... He totally denies it. And then he feels it instantly. I mean, there, there is, again, there's, there's something to learn from his pain. He runs away weeping because he realizes exactly what he has just done. And so as, as I looked at all these sobering statistics, as I thought about persecution, and I thought about myself, I thought about us, really, we suffer low-level persecution in America. I'm talking, like, even lower than, than a person coming up. Oh, you follow Jesus? No. We're, but we fold every single day. We do. And, it's, and, and for myself, as I was studying, as I was praying, as I was reading, it's frustrating. Because I should know better. But I fold. And I think many of you, you understand that because there's times you fold too. But the awesome thing is, Peter was restored. Jesus reached out to Peter specifically after his resurrection and had a moment with him on the beach, and, and he restored Peter. And then Peter comes back, and he preaches a message on the day of Pentecost in which several thousand people come to faith in Jesus Christ. So we can celebrate that. But I also think that we need to have a realization about where does your faith stand? If you really, really truly pushed on your faith, would you, would you crumble or would you be able to stand strong? 1 Peter verses 4, 15, and 16 read like this. But let no one, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in his name. If we, should, if we suffer, it should be because of our relationship with Christ and, and our closeness with Christ, not because of evil. That's really what Peter's trying to say here in this passage, or this portion of the passage. He's saying that, that not all people that suffer, suffer because of Christ. Sometimes we bring that suffering on ourselves. Sometimes 
the suffering we're experiencing is because of the consequences of our sins. And he's challenging the people, he's challenging the readers of this passage that we need to move beyond that point of letting these things trip us up. And that's really what, what the challenge is, is as I looked at this passage, as I read this today. And when talking about sin and the difference between the pain and suffering of sin and suffering for Christ, there really shouldn't be a question in your mind. Like, you should know the difference between the two. As I, as I was really just reading this, the, the, I, again, it's just this echo of persecution. There's no shame in suffering for Christ. We should feel sorry for those that are in persecution, but we shouldn't pity them. Just as what Peter says, if you are suffering for Christ, let him glorify God in, that, in his name, and let him not be ashamed. 1 Peter 4, verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There's a line there that I read that I was like, man, this stinks. Suffer according to God's will. We don't always get to see the big picture. We don't always get to see what our suffering is actually going to do for other people. And that may seem like you're like, I, I don't care about other people. I'm suffering. And that's an honest answer. But you know the persecution of the, of the church, the persecution of the apostles, they were pushed out of their towns. They were pushed out of Jerusalem specifically because of the level of persecution. And you know what happened because of that? The gospel spread. Because they were unallowed, they were, they were pushed out, they were persecuted, they were hated, they were hunted. In Jerusalem, they went out and they were able to fulfill what Jesus had commanded them to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Sometimes you suffer to push you out of your comfort zone and do what God has called you to do, to fulfill the will that he has for your life. So sometimes that pain is there to spur you on. Sometimes it's the kick in the pants that you really need so that you can actually succeed in what God has called you to do. We're called to entrust or commit ourselves to God in faith. And I think Polycarp's prayer echoes this idea. He says, may I be received before you today in a rich and acceptable sacrifice. So how can we commit ourselves as rich and acceptable sacrifices? Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 reads like this. I appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're called to be holy. Holy means to be set apart. And we're, to be called, we're called not to be conformed to the patterns of this world. We're called to be different. We're called to be Christ-like. And the word that is used here in the Greek for to be transformed... It's actually mesomorphous, which means mesomorphosis, and I can't say that very well. Mes metamorphosis. There we go. And if you guys remember from, I don't know, I think it was in third or fourth grade where we grew the little um, the the butterflies that were 
they came in and they were in this box and they were caterpillars and then they you know climbed up on the stick that was in there they made a cocoon and as they were in the cocoon there was a change going on or a metamorphosis and then the caterpillar became a butterfly God bless you so this idea is that we should be changing we should be becoming more like Christ if we call ourselves Christians then our goal is to be like Christ and that means that we shouldn't be like the world we should be odd to the world and I'm not saying that you know we need to walk around with a funny walk or talk with a funny voice or just be weird I'm not calling you to be weird I'm calling you to be Christ-like and being Christ-like is totally different than what the world is the way you conduct yourself at work should be different than everyone else at work the way you conduct yourself in traffic and I'm horrible at this should be different than everyone else in traffic that may mean letting someone in front of you even though they went up the wrong side when you're at the fast when you're at McDonald's you're at Taco Bell which I don't know why I'd go to Taco Bell but it, some of us do oh sorry always go to Taco Bell I don't know why you go to McDonald's specifically go to the one over in Etna Route 8 yep that's the Taco Bell you only go to it's the only Taco Bell allowed all others no but honestly when you go to some place at a restaurant the service stinks your first reaction is to lash out I want to talk to the manager maybe the person's having a bad day because you want the benefit of the doubt when you have a bad day you should be different the way you conduct yourself should be Christ-like if we're truly no longer conforming to the patterns of this world but renewing of our minds and that's the challenge of what this is today when we look at Polycarp's prayer I guarantee you that when he first got saved he does he wasn't thinking his life was going to end on a stick being burned alive but he got to a point in his relationship with Jesus Christ that didn't matter because he loved Christ so much that everything else was second and I'll be honest with you I struggle with that there's things that comp compete to be number one in my life all the time and I fail all the time I put things above Christ doesn't mean I'm right just means that I'm growing it means I'm still transforming to be like Christ and you should too because at some point it would be awesome for you to say 86 years I've served God he's never done me wrong so why would I blaspheme his name now and that's the challenge